Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM in the places you'll find me, including Blue Sky now. You launched right into that intro. I didn't even have a chance to catch my breath after we clapped it. <laughs> um, I thought we would be like, okay, well, I'm going to get started. All right, we'll count down from three, and then here we go. Anyway, I'm Brandon, <laughs> that way of Randalore, uh, in a lot of places, but not Blue Sky. Uh, I know people who have codes if you want one, Brandon. I'm not going to offer that to our audience at large, because that might, that might get weird fast. The old man in me is uh, reaching a point where it's like, I can't keep up with all of these. I tried to do Mastodon, and I just didn't care for it. Um, I checked my Twitter account more and more infrequently. Um, I had to use it the other day to yell at Amtrak, uh, and that was probably <laughs> the most recent time that I'd used it, because they couldn't they couldn't report on uh, storm delays in New York fast enough uh, for me. <laughs> And it ended up, I ended up being stuck in Philadelphia for like an extra hour because of it. Oh, Lord. Well, it could have been worse. I don't want to make light of the flooding that happened in, in New York City because of the storms and everything like that. My big beef was just that Amtrak was like, well, it's really raining. So, you know, your tra- trains coming through New York might might be up to two hours late. I was like, it's supposed to, my train's supposed to get to New York in like 30 minutes. And you can't tell me whether or not it's going to be a two hour delay or a 10 minute delay at this point. Uh, anyway, that yeah, I was shaking my fist at cloud. That's, that's all it was. That's fair. That's fair. We're getting off track, <laughs> getting off train track. Uh-huh. Uh, I joined blue sky because it seems like the likeliest successor for Twitter uh, most of the people that I used to follow and enjoy on Twitter are now on Blue Sky. So I was like, that's just to make sense for me. And eventually when it wins, when it wins the social media wars, Irving Berlin's prophecy will come true that nothing but blue skies do I see. <laughs> uh, real quick programming note for everyone listening along at home. I'm going to sound a little bit froggy today. Because Monday and Tuesday of this week, it's now Saturday, I was completely laid up with either the flu or a really gnarly head cold. And I, uh, we were supposed to record before Brandon left on his trip, and then that wasn't going to happen because I couldn't breathe. Yeah, you don't sound nearly as froggy as you probably do in your head. You sound relatively normal to me, and I interact with you on a somewhat regular basis. Oh, good. I suspect Scott will be like, I can hear it. I can hear the frogginess. Um, okay. But in case like I need to take a cough break or something like that, that's, I figured I'd mention that near the top. You have a professional setup over there. Just hit your cough button and it'll mute you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. I want to get into today's business in part 
because I'm so annoyed by the process you and I were just going through. And I was literally like about to go off on a rant. And then I was like, Brandon, we're wasting perfectly good content here. We need to we need to hit record so that I can have this rant. Yeah, a little a little background for everybody, as you may know, by what will undoubtedly be the title of this episode. We're talking finally about Big Brief Presents Glory of the Giants. This was supposed to be a double barreled episode where we talk about that and um, the Fandover Shattered Obelisk, which uh, was supposed to find its way to me, but accidentally found its way to Josh and then uh, sickness and out of town and everything. So we'll just what we're we're not a breaking news kind of show. So I think it's fine that we're just sort of hanging out and getting to these as we get to them. Um, but as we were getting ready to record this, because, you know, I got in late last night and I was really tired. And uh, this morning I messaged Josh because we had sort of vaguely talked about recording over the weekend for the Monday release. And I was like, hey, when do you want to do this? He's like, ah, let's just do this at about 1.45. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, the plan was for Josh to read uh, Glory of the Giants and me to read Shattered Obelisk, and then we talk about them. So consequently, I'm coming into this with very little uh, actionable knowledge about Glory of the Giants. <laughs> so I was frantically looking online to uh, bring myself at least somewhat up to speed on it. Like I already knew like a little bit just from the promotional stuff, but I was just trying to refresh myself essentially. And we just ran into a big problem trying to get that all nailed down. <laughs> Well, as it turns out, Wizards of the Coast didn't put together uh, one of their usual splash pages for Big B's Glory of the Giants. They put together a store page that's got some basic info, but it doesn't have the like little news articles and the videos and all those nice little tangible things at the bottom of the page to help kind of get you invested in the concept of buying this book. Yeah, it's really great because they'll have those little like 10 minute interviews with like Jeremy Crawford and I just open it on YouTube and I have a chat GPT plugin uh, on my Chrome browser. So I use it to generate a transcript uh, from the video and then I plug that into chat GPT and like summarize this for me in no fewer than 10 bullet points. <laughs> um, and what we what we found, first of all, was that. The Practically Complete Guide to Dragons page is still marked Giants. as coming soon. Wait. No. No, I'm talking about when we were but, trying to find the Glory of Giants page. Oh, okay. When we got very one when, of, when I got very confused when we were looking at that. <laughs> yes. We were trying to find the Glory of Giants page. And so we started just like clicking into everything to see if there were like cross links or anything like that to find just the like the splash page for that one product. And I'll point um, out that the, the product page on the official D&D website still leads with Spelljammer that came out more than a year <laughs> ago. We got into the Practically Complete Guide to Dragons and immediately I was like, what the hell? Because it still says coming soon. It's marked as having a release date under product information of 22nd of August, 2023. <laughs> which as of recording is over a month ago. Uh, and I don't know. It just, it's frustrating. It's also, this is not their like biggest, most recent dragon release. I would say that was the um, Fizzbands treasure trove of dragons. Treasury of, Treasury of dragons. Treasury of dragons. There we go. 
Um, Which, to my understanding, is essentially the dragon analog of the Bigby book. Right. And that's so Brandon and I both took a minute and we're like, wait a minute. What was the the practically complete Guide to Dragons supposed to be since it's not that because they just released that? And so I have to I, I go looking through it. It's supposed to be like an encyclopedia of dragons inside D&D worlds. It's like, oh, where do black dragons incubate their eggs? How large is a baby dragon? Now find all the answers you seek and more in the Wizard Sindri Suncatcher's personal notebooks. Is that a youth title? Uh, Because that was not on the uh, release schedule for 2023 that we talked about last year. It is. Uh, no, I don't recall talking about it. Um, I don't know if it's a youth title. It does say uh, D&D fans and dragon lovers of all ages multiple times over the course of the page. It's interesting. Maybe it's a maybe it's a third party thing and they're just publishing it. It's possible. But the fact that it's still marked as coming soon, even though it's been out for over a month, is a little embarrassing for Wizards. Mm -hmm. We did ultimately find a Big Beast page. It just wasn't uh, it wasn't quite what we were looking for, which is. Yeah, it was for the, the, the digital and physical bundle page. Yeah. And it's got some details on there, which is nice, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's not what we're used to seeing for these kinds of releases. Yeah, I mentioned to Josh that I was actually getting more information off of Amazon's product page than I was the one actually on the Wizards website. I do still really enjoy, though, that the Wizards page has the book photographed from like seven different angles. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you have an overzealous photographer. <laughs> with a very uninteresting subject. It's like, oh, here's the front. Here's the back. Here's the back again with the angle slightly tilted towards you. Here's the book again with the angle slightly to the left. And then they repeat all those angles for the other side as well. I can almost guarantee that the photographer's contract says you need to take 10 photos of each of our products sort of deal. And they're like, well, can I open the cover and show them some of the like splash art that's inside? Wizards is like, no. Nothing inside the book. And they're like, well, I'll do what I can. Yeah, I was hoping for some interior previews, too. And I know what's going to happen is we're going to record this and we're going to release it on Monday. And then people are going to be like, oh, well, you just could have gone here and you could have seen what was inside it. Uh, I'm like, well, they should have made it more obvious. If I'm actively looking for it, it shouldn't be difficult for me to find it. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I may not be a photographer for Wizards of the Coast, but there are a couple of things that I would like to interior preview. And one of them is this amazing splash art. Mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who are exclusively on an audio medium right now, they did this really dope image of this huge astral gate and a forge in front of it. It's called the Star Forge, uh, and it's very reminiscent. For those of you who watch Marvel films, it's very reminiscent of the giant astral forge that uh, Thor forges. Nidavellir. What? Nidavellir. Oh, I I was unaware of the name. Completely unaware of the name. Yeah, you're talking about the one from Infinity War, right? Yeah. 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 So 
It's the same basic concept. I'm guessing because both of these things are borrowing from Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, except theirs is, uh, it's got a fallen star inside it that powers it, that has been shrunk down to be a useful power source. And the magic that keeps it shrunk is starting to destabilize. And so there's some, there's some risk with like earthquakes, etc., that the whole forge is going to go up. Um, but they also included in that particular section a mechanic for forging your own like magical items, which I think is cool. Well, so let, let, let me ask you real quick, just a little bit about the structure of the book, because yeah, like like I was saying earlier, um, you know the the Treasury of Dragons book was really good because it just went through like essentially all the different types of dragons and um, all the stuff that you could use in your games with them and everything. And I understand that the, the giants book is doing like largely the same thing, but it sounds like they've also included some setting based stuff for that. So it's nearly identical. It's got a lot to do with here are the varieties of giants. Here are some creatures that are not considered giants per se, but are classified as giants, if that makes any sense. Um, basically, creatures that are oversized, that oh. are lore-wise probably cousins of giants, without being giants themselves. Like uh, a Goliath or something? Trolls, ogres, Goliaths, Etten, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Okay. Which I think is really cool. I like the inclusion of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um it's got some magic items. It's got a subclass for the barbarian. You remember when they released that UA with all the giants subclasses and we were yeah. like, half of these are broken and terrible. And what are you thinking? Why, why did you write these things this way? Yeah. Like the one with like storm giants and stuff. The only one that survived was the barbarian subclass and the, uh, the feats with the strikes as inspired by varieties of giants and the barbarian subclass as written i think it's very well written um they've got um at third level you get a cantrip and then of two choices druidcraft or thaumaturgy you also can do the transforming thing that you could in the ua um Mm -hmm. But it's mostly a elemental flavor transformation and then giving you some additional things like you you have a better throw ability as a as a giant empowered barbarian. If you are not a large creature, you may expand your size to be large, but you no longer increase by one size category regardless of size. So I you had can't to- make you, you said, sorry, you said throw ability, and I had to think about it for a minute because you were oh. saying throw ability, and I was like throw ability, <laughs> like oh, you can get thrown much farther now. Now that you're a giant, it's much easier to throw you. Yes, uh, gravity no longer has the same effect. No, no, that's not <laughs> it at all. No, your ability to throw things increases. Um, you've got it's it's. There's a there's a few things that go into it, but basically, I like the stuff that they did with the barbarian subclass to make it a little bit more balanced. Um, I think my favorite of all of them is the throwing ability I was talking about. 
Uh, at 10th level, you can hurl allies and enemies on the battlefield. You can move them uh, as long as they're within reach of you. You can use this ability to move them 30 feet away. I feel like that should have been in the dwarves book. I say you have to toss me. <laughs> um, there's a couple there's a couple of things. There's a couple of backgrounds that you can get uh, along with a ruling, which this must be for balance reasons. But uh, if your GM is going to allow these backgrounds to be part of their game, then everybody else gets to pick a bonus feat between either skilled or tough, which I find kind of interesting. Oh, just so you can't just so your giants just not like running through tanking everything. I think so, yes. Um, okay. But the, the backgrounds don't necessarily mean that you are a giant. Uh, one of them is that you've been studying giant magic, and the other is that you were a giant foundling. Mm -hmm. Which are both, flavor-wise, absolutely fascinating concepts. But mm -hmm. as far as, like, I didn't see anything in their rule set that suggested to me that they were imbalanced for a normal game. But I'm guessing that they found something to be the case with that because they wouldn't have made that rule change for everybody else in your party should get these one of these two feats if your GM is allowing this background to be in action. Mm -hmm. Giant Foundling actually sounds kind of like an interesting jumpstart to some good role playing. Like imagine sort of right? a chip on your shoulder and the inadequacy issues that you would feel being a non-giant raised by giants. <laughs> uh one of the things they suggest is that you kind of learn to interact with a larger world than yourself mm -hmm. um you you feel a little bit borrower-esque at times i imagine mm -hmm. uh, but one of the they've got as with most backgrounds they've got the origin tables and the foundling one of the origins is well playing hide and seek with your friends you stumbled into the castle look a castle of a cloud giant who immediately adopted you, which horrifying. Yeah. Because that means that your family's out there somewhere like, Oh, well, Timmy's gone. That's called kidnapping. Timmy belongs to the cloud giants. Now, how do you just stumble into a cloud giant castle? Well, you know, like you and your friends plant some magic beans and then you climb all the way to the top of the stock because you always wanted to play among the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> it, takes, it takes some effort to just stumble into that. It takes either some effort or some obliviousness. I the way I would probably explain it would be like your family lives as a a group, a settlement that is near a mountaintop, mm -hmm. and so the kids play on the mountain a lot. Uh, and a fog bank rolled in, or what you thought was a fog bank, but was actually a cloud giant's domain rolling across the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And you manage to step between the ethereal and the physical and end up somewhere you didn't intend to. Either way, it makes it a very difficult mystery for the police to solve. It's one hell of a kidnapping. <laughs> there is a lot of history on the giants in here. Mm -hmm. um, and most of it is shared by... So Bigby is supposed to be the person who is recording everything. He is sort of the scholar at work here. Mm -hmm. um, 
but he is assisted in his research by a demigod giantess named Diane Castra, who is, uh, she has, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how to describe her demigod story. It's, it's a little bit like her father does not see her as worthy because she has a mortal mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and her father is the all father of giants. And she shows up in his court and is like, I too would like to be some kind of divine force. And he goes, I don't know about that. I think you're going to have to prove yourself. And so he gives her a test and she ends up much as fables do absolutely crushing that test. And then he's like, well, maybe I was wrong. Like maybe, maybe you are more worthy of this than I was giving you credit for, which is cool. But I also, I don't know a whole lot about like, was this a character that existed before or is she being introduced in this book? I'm not sure. I've never heard of that character before. That doesn't mean anything. Um, but it's a nice little Thorcules story that they've <laughs> meshed together there. A little bit, yeah. I think that's why I got tripped up is because I was thinking about Thor and then I was like, well, it's not, it's kind of not Thor. There's several feet options, um, most of which you have to get a prerequisite feat that is also included in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you are one of the two backgrounds of giants, uh, called strike of the giants. And it comes with a basic, like you, you have absorbed primeval magic from the giant's domain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can use, you can infuse a weapon with that and strike with it. It's kind of like a smite. Um, I would think strike of the giants would inflict equal pay for equal work on your <laughs> opposing team. <laughs> That's that's kind of the concept, I think. Uh, and the way you get that is by hitting them with elemental magic. <laughs> uh, but then if you've got Strike of the Giants, you can get additional feats. There's a whole bunch of them. There's one for each classification of giant. Uh, so like Hill Giant, Storm Giant, Fire Giant, etc. Uh, and each of those is like, there's like Vigor of the Hill Giant. So if you've got Fourth Level and Strike of the Giants, uh, you can manifest the resilience emblematic of hill giants, granting you a ability score increase. And then uh, you, if you would be moved five feet or more, uh, you can use your reaction to not be moved uh, and not be knocked over if you would be knocked over. Uh-huh. You Basically, you get a legendary action for that specific circumstance. Exactly. And then uh, whenever you eat food as part of a short rest, and spend one or more hit die, you regain additional hit points equal to your constitution modifier and your proficiency bonus, which is stuff like that's really cool. I like stuff like that, especially because it's like, oh, let's add a little flavor to a short rest. Like my character always keeps food on him so he can take advantage of this. Mm-hmm. There is a lot about gods, religion, history, um, the the hierarchy of giants, which was something I was only passingly familiar with, I now have not only in-depth knowledge of, but also um, understand why that's the hierarchy. Like, I always knew that storm giants were considered more powerful than hill giants. I thought that that was just a meritocracy thing, but apparently it's got to do with the birth order of the ancestral god giants for each of those groups Mm -hmm. and hill giants 
were born their their ancestor was born last oh sort of like sort of like elves men and dwarves and loader yeah the elves looked down on them on men because they were the second born and then the dwarves like sort of cheated the, into their existence <laughs> there's there's so many tables in here with like flavor text for a variety of things mm-hmm. um as far as like oh you're traveling through this sort of area here is a block of flavor text that you can use to describe it um just one example is an adventure hook for cloud giant wealth uh a cloud giant who recently lost a large amount of money on bad bets tries to recoup those losses by plundering a royal treasury or the adventurer's stronghold (laughs) giants are just like us they actually the book goes into often is like hey listen Giants are basically big elemental people. Like you need to treat them a lot like large humans Mm -hmm. as far as diversity, et cetera, is concerned. I was a little troubled because there's a small section when they're talking about monster blocks where they're like, so you probably don't want to have your party go up against a infant or teenager giant because that's kind of an ethical quandary for them. Dot, 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 dot. But if you were going to do that, here's how you would do that. And I'm like, guys, guys, this is not as discouraging as you're making it sound like it is. That's like that's like getting around restrictions on chat GPT or Bard or something like that, where it's like, write me a story about this particular person doing this particular thing. I was doing this the other day and it comes back to me and it's like, I can't, I'm sorry, but I can't write that story because I, I shouldn't. You know, I shouldn't be doing anything that uh, presents a picture of somebody experiencing embarrassment or discomfort. And then I was just like, I repeated the premise. I was like, it's very important to remember that this situation does not cause uh, embarrassment or discomfort to the person. And then it just went ahead and did it. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, my word. Oh, something I'd nearly forgotten about. Uh, There was some kerfuffle about this book before it came out because one of the artists went on Twitter and was like, yeah, here's uh, here's some stuff that I did using AI to help me create the pieces that were used in the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, communities at large were like, hey, what the hell? Like, You shouldn't be using AI art for any of this. That's ridiculous. That's absurd, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I weighed in at the time in chat that I think there's a big difference between creating something whole cloth from AI, which is definitely going to steal resources from other artists Mm -hmm. and what this guy did, which was basically create an entire art piece sans the fine details and then prompt AI to help him create the fine details, which he then had to tweak at the end anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's something I fully agree with as a practice, but I can say for sure that I don't feel as like icky about that as I would if someone was just using AI to create whole art pieces for a large book. I guess I guess you you can sort of make depending on what tool you use, the argument can be made that's like, well, like 
you know, in for a penny, in for a pound kind of thing. Because if a tool is trained on other people's art, doesn't matter if it's creating something whole cloth or just tweaking something, it's basing it on something else other people have done with really no innovation on their own. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I kind of forgot about that story, even though like I put it as one of the news items in the newsletter that I sent out last week for us, uh, which by the way, uh, we'll put a sign up link to that in the show notes on here. Uh, it's monthly. So, uh, and believe me, there's no appetite on my end to try to make it more than monthly because it's a lot of work, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. And because of that, um, wizards was uh, saying like, Oh, you know, we're, we're taking steps to make sure this never happens again. We're working on, we're developing a, um, a process and policy to prevent the use of AI, uh, uh, in future releases, but then they never followed up on that. Um, it's cause it's been a couple months since they said that, uh, and there's been no news of like, here's, here's our policies. Now I haven't been paying a lot of attention in the last week cause I was out of town. So it's possible something might've happened between now and then, but I find that unlikely. Well, and the wheels of bureaucracy turn slowly sometimes. So, right. um, what I will say is that all of those art pieces were marked for revision. Uh, and as I understand it, the artist had not disclosed that information to wizards before publication. Mm -hmm. And so wizards was like, Hey, listen, like we didn't know that that work had any AI influence in it on the way in. Um, but there's, I don't know. That's one of those where again, wizards had an opportunity to be out in front of this because a lot of places were like, we're not going to let you use AI art at all in our work. And we want to be very clear about that. And we're writing a policy to say that in the first place. Wizards was notably very quiet when everybody else was saying these things. And only now with the public backlash is like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're definitely not going to do that. No, for sure. Well, so, I mean, there's a, there's been a lot of testing the waters uh, for for that kind of thing, because people weren't really sure where sentiment was ultimately going to land on it. And, you know, you yeah. can make it you could argue that like, well, you know, it, it kind of depends because, uh, for example, Wizards for years has probably had a standard statement of work that that um, freelancers uh, have to sign to be able to do work for the company, whether it's writing or illustrating or whatever. And really, like it's only in the last, you know, 15, 16 months that AI has become sort of a, a relevant issue in this sphere. So it's entirely possible that it was just one of those things that they never thought about. And so it wasn't, there was no prohibition against it in their SOW. So there was no reason for the, on their end for, at least from like a legal way of thinking that it was anything to think about until it became something that happened and it was in the public sphere. Uh, because, you know, like I was saying a minute ago, like a lot of people play around, we're starting to play around with this, like, you know, starting about, you know, nine, 12 months ago. And like, I'm thinking about, uh, a tabletop creator that I follow on Facebook who I've mentioned before, but will not name because I don't, I don't want to put anybody in a corner on this, but he was like, Oh, Hey, check out, check out, uh, this stuff that I did. Um, this, this art that's going to be in my next book. Like I have, uh, you know, he had originally done something where he had AI generate art that he was going to put in a book. And then rightfully everybody just flipped, flipped the hell out on him. And he's like, okay, you know, I've, I've heard you. So he comes back and he's like, I, I generated some AI prompts to give that I could give to the artist the results of it to, 
to help inspire them for like get give them the idea of like what I'm looking for on this. And then everybody just blew up again. And then he has to come back and he's like, oh, hey, I'm I'm really sorry. Like I uh, <laughs> I, I really misread that and we're not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to take the decision out of the artist's hands for that kind of thing. And like that in particular, I think this is a person who got into doing tabletop stuff, not because they were and I don't know this, I'm speculating, but like if you are a creative person and I, I used to work as a graphic artist in the news industry and it's like you would have people coming up to you being like, hey, I want you to do I want you to do it this way. And here's how I want you to do it. And like that's a huge insult because like I have I have skills and creativity of my own asshole. So I'm going to <laughs> do this like I, I would appreciate being given, you know, enough rope to hang myself <laughs> on this. But you get somebody like this guy who I don't know for sure, but suspect probably came to this from a different direction. Like they weren't necessarily a creative person. And, um, you know, tabletop was something that they got into and now they've made it their career, but they came at it from a way different direction. And they don't really understand how creatives work in that situation because they've never had to work with creatives before because they probably weren't one like capital C creative, like everybody's creative. But I mean, we're like a professional creative. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So just didn't understand how to work with AI um, and, you know, this artist that we're talking about for um, Big B's, like, that's that gray area, like, that that still exists on that because, you know, there are plenty of people that we know who are like, no, I'm never going to use AI for anything. Like, absolutely not. And then you have some who are like, well, I'm totally fine, like having it help me sort of finesse as sort of like a wall to bounce a ball off of to get some ideas. It's really interesting because there's like you you dig down deep enough into the nuance of it and there's like not a right or wrong answer in some ways. Like and a lot of it depends on the kind of tool you use, how that tool was trained. Um the people people on the internet don't like nuance because nuance makes it harder to yell. Um because <laughs> You can't make a really bold statement and then put an asterisk next to it and then have like pages and pages of, you know, six point type uh, explaining all the details and like, but on the other hand, or in this case, or whatever. So I don't know, I feel yeah. like I'm rambling now, but like, it's one of those <laughs> things where there's like, there's, there's very clear to most people, like, definitely don't do this. But once you get away from that, that categorical it's like oh it becomes much harder to find what is what is acceptable and what's not acceptable in this case and i think I, for right now until we as a society reach a point and when the tools reach a point that the 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 way that they create whatever it is that they do doesn't draw on the works of others and therefore becomes less objectionable to a class of professionals who constantly have to remind people that like no, like that's actually stealing food from my table and money from my pocket when you do that. Like, again, you know, my history in the news industry, I was at um, I was at a business thing the past week and uh, I was having dinner with several people. And one of them was like, oh, so you used to be in the newspaper industry. And I'm like, yeah. And uh, we got to talking about that because people who don't people always think that working in the news industry is like fun and interesting, which I guess compared to being an accountant, yes, it is. But 
but it was like, oh, you know, like every day I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm on a website and I'm trying to read some news and then they keep hitting me with a subscription pop up. Like they want me to subscribe. They're like, are they really that bad off? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, like paid <laughs> advertising, classified advertising, that's all collapsed in like the last 20 years. Like, what do you mean you're like, what's the deal with them asking me for a subscription? It's like, well, because they, because they're doing all this work and you're not entitled to get it free. Like they completely screwed up 30 years ago when the internet started by offering it for free. But like, no, when you don't subscribe, that's why people like me lose their jobs <laughs> in the, in the news industry. It's just cause people it's, it's, it's easy to put value on an automobile, uh, because it's a physical thing that has been created and you can take it and you can hold it in your hand. And it's very hard to assign in most people's minds, at least people who come from a much more, foundational brick and mortar way of thinking like how do i assign a value to this idea information information may want to be free but the people who have to collect and organize and create narratives around that information uh can't buy bread for their families on on information wanting to be free <laughs> so so get the f over it <laughs> The, Scott, you can beat uh, that out if you want. <laughs> the uh, the only thing I was going to add to that, because I don't want to turn this into an AI episode when it's supposed to be about a book, uh, is that I think there's a but lot. But it of is. But AI is a giant issue right now. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of tools being called AI tools right now that a year ago, two years ago, we were describing a different way and everyone found a lot more acceptable. Uh, if you talk about using AI in Photoshop, you could be talking about something as simple as the lasso tool for auto-selecting the borders of your art piece versus your background. Um, like, yeah, then there's also yeah. like, I remember 15 years ago when somebody came up with a third-party Photoshop plugin that would automatically like fill in dead space on your photos and... I remember at the time thinking like, well, gosh, like that's amazing. The, the prevalent thinking in the news industry was like, well, this is the end of photo credibility. And it wasn't. But now, like in the last couple of months, the, the most recent beta release of Photoshop has included that as just a built in tool. And it's hilarious and fun to work with. Like I, I downloaded the beta version of it just to play around with it. And I don't know how many people are familiar with this, but there's an episode of Seinfeld where George had to break into his new boss's office to steal a picture from his boss's desk from like 15 years earlier where George was like ran into that guy and his family at the beach and they threw all his clothes in the ocean and George was afraid he was going to get fired if his boss remembered it was him. So he stole it, took it to an airbrush place to get his boss airbrushed out of the, or to get him airbrushed out of the photo. But then George, uh, he comes back and the guy has accidentally airbrushed the boss out of the photo. So it's just the wife and kids <laughs> and the George standing in the background. So he takes it back. He's like, you need to put him back. You need to put him back. And the guy's like, don't worry, I got this. I'll uh, I'll bring it back and come back tomorrow and I'll have it fixed for you. And George comes back the next day. And the guy has done a little airbrushed cartoon version of his boss in there. Uh, <laughs> so I found a high res version of that photo and I just started playing around with it. Like I lassoed Jason Alexander and was like, remove the guy in the background from the photo and it did it, was, it, it did a wonderful job um and getting it to create things is a lot more interesting than getting it to remove things um but yeah i mean i see people all the time violating what are normally the photo ethics that i grew up with professionally 
of like, oh, I don't really like how this shot was composed. Like I, I want it to change the angles of something or I need to remove this fire hydrant that's right there, but leave everything else the way it is. And I don't agree with that at all. Maybe for like artistic purposes, but not for any kind of news or documentary <laughs> type of purpose. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're doing it for like wedding photos, that's one thing, but I've, I've seen it done for ticket purchasing websites mm -hmm. where they remove columns that block views for certain seats. Yep. And then they advertise that whole bleacher set of like seats as having no obstructions of view the entire way across, which it's like, how can that be possible? This is the second or third level of a literal stadium. Mm -hmm. There's going to be columns. You've it's all maglev. It's all maglev. <laughs> God, the view of the game is great, but having to listen to the hum of the electronics, really uh, unbearable. Yeah, and it's a shame my phone doesn't work in here anymore, and all <laughs> and my credit cards stopped working too. Uh, getting getting back to getting away from giant buildings and uh, giant ethics problems. And back to giant giants, mm -hmm. um, they've got an entire section in here that's just for a variety of encounters you might build. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's basically just a like, oh, they're walking through Avernus, and you want to have them encounter some kind of fiendish giant. Uh, roll one d ten and just like run with what you've got here. Here is the point I teased to you earlier, Brandon, that there would be something that would make you very irritable in this book. Mm -hmm. Here is the point where that thing is. Some of these monsters are marked with asterisks because their monster blocks are in this book. Some of these monster blocks are marked with crosses because their monster blocks are in Morden Kanan's multiverse of monsters. Oh. It's it's appropriate that they're marked with crosses because my response to that is Jesus Christ. Like <laughs> don't uh, like <laughs> like at this point, just just do like Pathfinder did and just be like, well, here's your here's your best year volume two that's recollected all this stuff. <laughs> plan your plan your work better. Because you know, that brings me to an, and another thing that brings me, <laughs> and another thing. that brings me to another issue about this book. And I'm, I'm not just trying to be the contrary one, but, uh, this is the first book that's come out since the price increase. So this is like 59.95 instead of 49.95. Is it? You're look on, correct. Look on, yeah. Yeah. Look on, look on the back over the barcode. Yep. 59.95. Yeah. So in order to get this book, you have to pay a much higher fee, fi, fo, fum. <laughs> I've been sitting on that um, for about 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you worked it in beautifully. Well done, sir. Mm -hmm. They do they do have some suggestions in the book for if you don't have Morden Kanan's Multiverse of Madness. Is one of them buy some, it? <laughs> here's some different things you can do instead. Um, which I appreciate them giving you at least a little bit of lateral flexibility. I, it frustrates me that they didn't just duplicate those monster blocks into this book. This mm -hmm. should be a collection 
of all of your giants and creatures that surround them. Yeah, a one-stop giant shop. And it's a little, this is a thing that frustrates me as well, because I don't like when I'm flipping through a book trying to find a specific ruling for a specific thing, and they go, oh, that's not in this book. That's in this other book that you also have. You need to go flipping through that one instead. This is why people pirate books. It's like, well, and this is also why the prevalence of digital is growing, which I think uh, I I can't help but feel like it's a little bit of an intentional move on their part to be like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, like you could have D&D Beyond. And then as long as you've got both books, like the rules are just there. Um, Why hasn't. Like, has there been, correct me if I'm wrong, but D&D Beyond does not have sort of an all-in subscription, right? Like, you can't pay X dollars a month and get access to all the existing books. It is not X dollars a month, but you can buy the entire D&D Beyond collection, literally everything that's on D&D Beyond, for a large lump sum that is significantly less than buying the individual books. But what if you do that and then something else comes out? Does that get added to the thing or do you have to buy that see that's what i'm saying like you have to buy that separate yeah because like when crusader kings 3 came out because i'm a big fan of crusader kings 2 i played all the time and i over over the years bought all the dlc for it uh and then when crusader kings 3 came out they uh, they because tons of people still play ck2 they uh on steam it changed to a subscription service where you pay like five dollars a month like you buy the game and then you play the base game and then you pay five dollars a month and you have access to all the dlc that exists for it like I imagine, I imagine maybe sometime after uh, 1D&D comes out um, that there will be something like that, because I think it makes too much sense to have a higher dollar subscription tier for D&D Beyond that just lets you have all of it. And then you could also do that for like, if somebody wants to pay $4 a month and have access to everything that came out for second edition or everything that came out for third or fourth. Um, that just makes sense to me because uh, you, you know, they wouldn't be buying PDFs that they could just throw up on the internet everywhere. It would all be under that system. Like if, if they're going to do this kind of bullshit, frankly, then that's what they need to be doing. <laughs> now, having enraged you, I'm here to soothe your, uh, e- your evil, evil spirits within that bring such rage upon you. You and the Icy Hot. You and the Icy Hot. They have something like 36 pages of maps. Uh Uh-huh. Most of which are either hex or square grid. Right. All of which have like one hex equals six miles kinds of measurements on them. Are the di- are are the ones that are hex like broader, more like region style maps, and then it's encounter yes. maps or square? Okay. Yes, and uh, they've got it's basically, I would call them like one page dungeons with included map, mm-hmm. um, because it's a it's an area, it's a variety of encounters you might have in that area, and then it's some like magic kind of inner interaction or puzzles or traps that you might encounter in that area as well. And so you can have any one of these and be like, you guys are adventuring through some mountains. I kind of want to have a giant themed scenario 
occur during this mountain trip. So let me flip through here. Oh, I like this one. I'm going to drop this into my already existing campaign. Mm-hmm. Lots um, of sandbox drop-in type stuff. Very, very much so. There's a few of these that are super, super important to giant lore. Um, one of them is a world tree-esque sapling that has been planted. Um, there's a there's an ancient castle with a weather control circle in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a floating tower that was constructed by giants and is now being used by an ancient silver dragon. Like there's there's a lot of cool stuff in here. Um, I was pretty pleased with the maps and the encounters therein because there's a lot of really fun concepts kind of mixed in here kind of generally. Yeah, that's I I think the thing that bothers me the most about these books is um especially since the price has gone up to $60 for them is I want to be able to dismiss them as useless, but it sounds <laughs> but like you know, based on the template that was set by like Treasury of Dragons, for example, like it's adding a lot of cool stuff. I I just don't like that it's so hyper specific. You know, like I'm not going to spend I'm not going to spend $60 of my own money to buy this really super intensive book about giants or dragons. Um, and, you know, I, I'm I think depending on the sales of this, because um, they probably did this one because Fizben sold well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up having like um, a like because uh, it's been a while since we've had a Ravenloft release. Uh, or a Ravenloft re-release, or a Ravenloft re-re-release. Because um, let's, <laughs> Strahd is not a vampire; he is a cow, and they keep they, they keep, <laughs> keep milking at his teat. But um, like something like, you know, a, a vampire-specific book, or just like a horror monster-specific, like vampires and werewolves, or something like that. Um, and they're all really cool, but there's it's just so much money for such a very niche topic. Um, and like, maybe you like super love giants and it makes a lot of, maybe like you, maybe you and your party had like years ago, had a really cool experience, like fighting a giant or something like that. And you're like, Oh, we could, you know, really like relive that. Or we could like tell the second part of that story with a lot of the information that's included in here. It's, like it's good business on their part. I, I just think I'm I am probably more of a cost conscious consumer. Um, well, in, this, in this is aspect. part of my reason. This is part of my reason for liking physical. Once again, is I've had groups of friends, and uh, I think if if we were so inclined, we still could do this on like the Goblins of Growler server, where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, I've got this book. I really only wanted it for like these four different things, but I still want to get it because I really want those four different things. Does anybody want to go in on this book with me for shared ownership? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do my little section of my campaign where it's going to be kind of giants themed. I've got a couple of encounters in mind, but this should help inform those. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my buddy who's running more of a Giants-themed campaign, he's going to hang on to it for like 
three or four months to get all the stuff he wants out of it. And then we're going to send it off to the third guy who chipped in, who is going to use like, he just wants monster blocks out of the back. Like that sort of stuff used to happen a lot. It doesn't happen quite so much anymore that I've seen, but maybe it's time for a revival, you know? Mm-hmm. That's part of why I like physical so much is because you can do things like that in a way that you can't really with D&D Beyond. You can get people added to your group on D&D Beyond, but if you're already sharing all of your materials with your party because they're in your campaign that you're running, mm-hmm. then you may not have slots left over to be like, I'll buy the book and then I'll share it with you via the sharing mechanics in D&D Beyond. And then you can pass me a couple bucks for that. Like it's tougher. It's a lot tougher. And then at the end of the day, it's your book. Mm-hmm. Like they can't, they can't be like, well, I've got, you know, 50% ownership of this book. You have to, you got to buy out my share because you can just walk away because you own the book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and that gets back to what I was talking about, about a subscription model for, for all this stuff. Like at that, at that point, I think it makes sense to have, like, honestly, like if it was a reasonable price, like, you know, and I guess I'm toying with the idea of like 15 to $20, even though I almost guarantee it would be $29.99 a month, uh, at least Ugh. to have, to have access to every book as it comes out for any particular edition. Um, like that would super be worth it. Um, but like I said, I think ultimately where they're going to, where they're going to go is probably breaking that down into like tiers, essentially like four ninety nine a month, you get access to, uh, the PHB, the DMG and the monster and the monster manual. And then you can add on tiers of thematic books after that. That's how that's ultimately going to go. I think. Give me the choice of either or because at $30 a month feels like a lot to me mm-hmm. where if you go, you can have all of the books for $700. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, well, that's basically a year's subscription. Like right. all of, I'm, am I going to use all of the books for more than a year? Then yeah, it's worthwhile to me. I may as well just drop the 700. I don't know. I think give, give me both. Give me the choice. Um, we're, we're starting to run a little shy on time, so I'm mm-hmm. going to go through my, the last couple of things I wanted to highlight. Okay. Uh, thing number one is there's also an item section near the back of the book where it's like a variety of items you might find that are either giant themed or uh, you might find like there's loot tables for items you might find in a giant's purse, like those sorts of things. Uh, mm-hmm. My absolute favorite of all of these, they of course did art for. Those they're, giant- little, they're little dinosaur gems. Oh, that's cool. And the fun thing about them is that each of them summons a literal dinosaur. Uh, and you may have noticed there was a T-Rex gem in that pool of gems. Yeah. <laughs> that one is fun because it's got a rule where you have to roll to maintain control of it. And if you lose control of it, then it just goes feral. And just starts attacking everything, not just your foes, until you reduce it to zero HP, at which point it goes back to gem form. And then when you resummon it, it's got the same control rules as before. Does it just use the same stat block as the T-Rex from Chult? I believe so, yes. Okay. I bet there's a cross next to it. 
<laughs> you have to buy that book for it. Uh, no, I I don't see. Well, hmm, you know what? I think it's a Pteranodon, Plesiosaurus, Triceratops, and a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Mm-hmm. I don't see asterisks or crosses. I think these might be available in the SRD. Okay, which I would be fine with. That's the sort of multi-book thing I'm fine with. Um, yeah. It also sounds like the basis for a really good Power Rangers campaign. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the items section is kind of cool because they've actually got a text block that's like something something you, the Game Master, need to consider as you're putting giant magic items in your game. Do you want them to be uh, one-size-fits-all? like most magic items in D&D, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it doesn't matter if you're a halfling or a half-elf, you can wear this stuff. Like, that's fine. Or do you want it to be, these are magic items that were made by giants for giants. They're not changing size unless you get an artificer to work with them magically or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and their their concept is like, rings might fit like bracelets or um <clears throat> you might be able to repurpose a like an axe like you can still use it as an axe but really it's more like a battering ram for mm-hmm. you and your party an axe shaped battering ram okay like they give you a little they give you a little like mess with the flavor of it have some fun with it that sort of idea i Personally, I think I would do a mix of both. I don't think I'd have all magic items be able to fit the party just as easily as any other. But some of them, certainly, the giants would be like, well, this should be flexible because maybe I need to sell it. Like those sorts of things. But like the most legendary giant magic items, they wouldn't expect other people to come in and use those. They wouldn't even want other people to come in and use those. So, of course, they're not going to put in the resizing magic. I like the idea of just giant magical items. When you said that, I immediately thought of like some sort of in-universe Costco where you just have to go buy like the wholesale <laughs> version of it. I'm going to cover up the stat block for this, but the monster section has some stuff that's really cool. And I wanted to share at least the art for this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh there, there, there we go. Yeah. That's a bag jelly. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Tentacles coming out of a bag. <laughs> it's a slime that lives inside a giant purse. And <laughs> there's uh, the, the, the book says, let's see. There's a slight text argument between Bigby and Diane Castra where, cause they've got the little, like where they put the notes in the margins. Mm hmm. Bigby says, a dwarvish saga claims bag jellies are the result of a curse laid by Durgrid Bladeforge, who was beaten to death while hiding inside a giant's bag. Diane Castro replies, I'm not one to discount dwarvish sagas as a rule, but everyone knows that food left in a bag for too long sometimes comes alive. Eat it before it eats you. That's my motto. Those little side notes are probably my favorite things about the physical books these days. Um, I, I love they're those great side little Easter eggs. So much. I love yeah, them. They're so great much. little Easter eggs. 
there's a variety of really cool monsters in here. Um, oh, there's some dinosaurs in here that I did I missed on my initial look through. Oh, they're looking, they're looking mighty fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so. I have an art related question. Um, art related question. One, one of uh, when I said earlier that I found more information on the Amazon product page, uh, <laughs> there's a great like essentially triptych image um, on there of this huge storm giant that looks like a cross between Dr. Manhattan and the Colossal Titan. Um, what? Yeah. Does that actually appear in the book at all? I'm looking for it right now. Yeah. For um, anybody watching the video version of this, I'll just share share that screen with Josh. Um, yeah, this right here. Holy crap. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I haven't seen him yet. It's just really cool. That's the kind of thing I would like to have for a print or something like that. And I really hope it's not one of the AI images. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he is going to be in. Here. Okay. Because they've got some really dope. Oh, well, I say that. There were there were several really dope giants. Mm-hmm. Um. Here, let me grab one of those to show. Riv- riveting audio. Eh. <laughs> you know, this is an excuse for buying <laughs> digital. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> That's fair. That's if you're fair. just if you're just listening to this, I encourage you to just imagine Josh trying to put his hand over a stat block and then put the book up to his camera and getting it to focus. Only for me to be barely able to see what's going on. Because <laughs> we're a high-tech operation here. I like that's almost like that's like a Rorschach test, basically. It looked like it looked like a giant turtle smashing into <laughs> some lava. <laughs> um it's it's a huge fire elemental giant. Mm-hmm. The scion of Surtur. And it's just like this massive magma giant rising out of a huge lava flow. And there's these two adventurers, one of whom has put up a bubble shield. I'm guessing in desperate hope to not be covered in lava. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then the lava hits the bubble shield and he just gets entombed inside his bubble. Oh, God. I am not seeing that giant. I'm not seeing that giant at all. All right. Well, it's really cool. Um, I'd love to have a print of it. It could go right next to the star screen I've got on my wall. Um, if anybody in the Richmond area is interested in getting some nice uh, paintings of Transformers, uh, I can recommend an artist that you can reach out to. There is some really beautiful art in here, though. Um, like, there's... Clearly a lot of work and love went into making these things really gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I have no idea which ones had AI tweaking on them, but all of them are beautiful in their own way. So, so if you were spending your own money on, on this book instead of the company's money, um, would you have bought it? Oh, that's tough to say. So, I have not run a lot of stuff with giants historically. I think mm-hmm. probably the way this would have gone down is I would have seen it on the shelf at Alpha 
and I would have been like, oh, mm-hmm. hey, that's out. I would have opened it up and flipped through it a little bit to get a look at some things. I mm-hmm. would have seen the items section and the monsters section and been like, ooh. And then I would have flipped back a bit to see the maps section and the fact that those come with planned encounters as part of those maps if you want to use them. Or if you don't, mm-hmm. it's just got like, here's what the effects of this area are. Throw your own encounters in. Mm-hmm. I think I probably would have bought this eventually, but I might have waited a little bit. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been in so much of a rush to get my hands on it as I was for the company, because though we are not a cutting edge latest releases as they happen kind of podcast, we do try to keep up with things. Um, yeah. I personally probably would have gotten this later when I had something in mind for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it just keeps going back to what I was saying about it being just a really like niche title. Um, it's a niche title within a niche hobby. <laughs> um, so a bit. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a specialist book. Which yeah. is fine, uh, but if you don't use Giants a lot already and you don't plan to use Giants in the near future, it's going to be tough mm-hmm. to be like, oh, 60 bucks. Yeah, I don't have anything better I could be doing with 60 bucks. Well, like the price point on some of those re- on the smaller supplementary books a few years ago where it was like around 30 bucks, like I was like, that's perfect. Yeah. Like I'm happy to pay 30 bucks for something like that, but I'm not paying twice that for something that I may not actually end up ever using. Right. It's like I said, it's tough. I think personally, if this was a situation where I was running a campaign and I was like, Hey, did you guys hear about the Bigby book? And my table was like, Oh, holy crap. Yeah. I would love to have way more giant stuff included in the campaign. Can we get it? Can we get the book? And I'm like, everybody put 10 bucks down and then I'll put the remainder and I'll I'll hang on to it. But if you want to borrow it at any time, you can. Then that's mm-hmm. easy. It says that's what I used to do with basically everything I was running a campaign for. I didn't have money to be able to buy a whole book by myself. I barely had enough money to mm-hmm. buy a PHB for myself. Mm-hmm. And I bought that used. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like. That's what I would do is I'd be like, if y'all want to have this, we can absolutely have this. We'll just chip in as a group. We'll get it. And then as a group, we will have it. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what I would do, too. Um, I just don't have the time to run a private game right now. Yeah, um, I, that's I wanted to I wanted to put that out there because thinking about it, I am not our usual use case for a book like this. I don't have mm-hmm. a big campaign I'm running right now. I'm not running one shots with my friends either. Like right. I'm almost exclusively, if I'm writing adventures, it's for G and G. And if I'm writing adventures yeah. for G and G, I can't use anything that's in here except for inspiration. Yeah. And it's like, I guess the kind of thing, like after I'm done with grad school next year, like my, I will suddenly have more free time. And I can maybe get back into doing that stuff a little bit more regularly. But, you know, there again, like talking about not having time for something like this, like I'm super excited about the Shattered Obelisk book just because I like cosmic horror stuff. And I like how they're taking that initial campaign and turning it into something bigger, more interesting, new, whatever. And that's what we're going to be talking about um, in two weeks on the next episode. 
because um, by then I will have seen Josh and I can actually get the book <laughs> off of him uh, um, and have a chance to study it a little bit. Um, but uh, the only other thing I'll say about the Giants book is this the whole time we've been talking, I'm like, did they call it Bigby's Presents because they wanted to get big in there for the, the Giants book? I honestly have no idea why they chose Bigby specifically for this. I, mm-hmm. I, I know that each of their like lore master characters has a different writing style. Um, Volo gets a significant amount of highlight in uh, Baldur's Gate 3. So I suspect that they were like, mm-hmm. listen, Volo's getting plenty of spotlight right now. We need to use somebody else. Morden Kanan is mostly obsessed with like monsters and monster bio- biology. I almost said biographies, which is a totally different kind of book that he would be writing. A <laughs> <laughs> um, shambling mound, an, <laughs> an, a, a reflected life. <laughs> um, I think Bigby got selected for the writing style first and for the name pun second. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I think I would like for it to be the reverse, but you're probably right. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so that's that's us uh, uh, about five weeks after it's come out on uh, Glory of the Giants. Uh, but we'll be back uh, in two weeks to talk about Fandelver Shattered Obelisk. And in the meantime, join the Discord, bit.ly slash Goblin Discord. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, well, like I said, once a month, uh, just news and, and such and some updates on the podcast and things like that. And occasionally some drops about stuff that's in the store. We've got a um, fall sale going on at the Goblins and Growlers uh, big cartel store right now. Um, everything's on sale and it's also free shipping. Uh, and we've added some new stuff on there uh, in addition to like the character sheets, some pride dice, the revised version of uh, One Page Dungeon Collection Volume 1. Going to get uh, Volume 2 revised up there hopefully in the next month. Um, and, uh, you know, may or may not have some sales going on like for holidays and stuff like that but we've got some new stuff coming to the store so that's pretty cool um and telephone telegraph tell a friend about the goblins and growlers podcast because word of mouth uh is uh you know really great ludicrous album and it's also uh (laughs) the best way uh for us to grow the podcast give us a five-star review on uh you know your spotify's your apple podcasts your podcatchers of choice if you're going to give us anything less than a five-star review why don't you reach out to us and tell us your problems first so we can solve them and where can they reach us josh uh they can reach us either on the discord bit.ly slash goblin discord or not really on twitter anymore uh but anywhere you can find me at black cloak dm or you. you probably also if you message our Facebook too, I usually get push notifications on that. <laughs> That's fair. That could also work. You might catch a line yeah. there. That'd be interesting. They ask a uh Goblins of Growlers podcast specific question, but they don't phrase it as that. And they get a line yeah. answering it instead of one of the two of us. That'd be pretty awesome. I love one time Alon was um doing he was applying for some panel or something like that or some podcast related thing. And he he put 
on his resume that he was a producer for this podcast. And he's like, if anybody asks, just tell them what that I am. <laughs> a lot often has to be reminded that we have this podcast. <laughs> I don't think, not recently. I think every time recently we've been talking about uh, shows that we have, he's like, yeah, we have two podcasts. Two podcast goblins and growlers. <laughs> What's the other one, Josh? The other one's Quid Pro Roll, an actual play podcast about bringing dragons back to a uh, world forsaken by metallic dragons, by chromatic dragons, I think probably sealing them away in some alternate dimension or something like that. We haven't figured that out yet, which then very quickly became about things like wrestling, hijinks, uh, and moral quandaries solved with wrestling and hijinks. I gotta say, I really appreciate all the people who listen to us all the time who have to hear these pitches constantly <laughs> for these things that they've already opted in on. Um, so, you know, don't to, to all of you out there, uh, don't don't think that that your frustration goes unnoticed or unthought of or unappreciated. It's it's my hope that when we make these pitches, they're entertaining enough or like funny enough for the people who are already opted in that they're like, yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we'll be back to talk about uh, deeply hidden cosmic horror uh, in two weeks. So in the meantime, everybody have a good start to their October and uh, we'll see you mid month. And oh, you know, it occurs to me, Josh, that last year we actually planned Halloween programming. So I'm retroactively making this cosmic horror thing a uh the Fandover Shattered Obelisk uh horror themed uh Halloween programming. Ooh. So that gives us a whole month to figure out what our end of October <laughs> episode is. Uh if any of you have any suggestions, uh let us know. But in the meantime, we will catch you all later. Bye y'all like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you